Let's pray. Father in heaven, we sing these songs, and yeah, it's a little different time of year, but Lord, what does it matter? If it wasn't for Luke 2, we know we would, we would be in such a lost mess. And so tonight, we'd, we go into this story, and may we not lose the wonder of what really happened here. So we love the shepherds. We so love the message of the angels. We love the heart of Mary and Joseph. We, we really appreciate Simeon and Anna. May we watch these people tonight represent um, attitudes and dealing with difficulties and May we learn lessons tonight from them. We are open, we're ready to hear, and we know you are ready to teach, and we are, we are listening, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. That's right. Luke 2. Now, if we really saw last week, you know, Luke is, is really trying to make sure we know the kind of atmosphere that's going on. And um, we know that Herod, King, King Herod was over Judea, and, and he was not a he was not a good king. He was evil. He was selfish. He was egotistical, and he ruled with brutality and with immorality, and he, he was just not a good guy. And uh, it was hard on Israel. It was, it was hard. And then, now tonight we're seeing that um, Luke is also showing us that um, even, even in a greater scope, now we're talking Caesar Augustus. And who is he anyway? Who, who is Caesar Augustus? Now, some of you men, you probably, you probably know because you watch movies. I mean, I was telling Tom, and he knew all about this already. I didn't know. So I, I like history, but I never really saw um, who, who is Caesar Augustus. Well, I'm going to just give you a little brief um, history. And I think it proves the point. Now, Caesar Augustus, his real name, his real name is Octavian. That's his real name. And, and he, was, um, he was in a family, and his grandma was the sister to Julius Caesar. So um, Octavian's grandma a sister to Julius Caesar. Then Julius, well, then Julius Caesar, for some reason, adopted Octavian as his heir. Then something happened. Julius Caesar was murdered. Then as Octavian took over, he was joined with two other men. And this, these two men are Mark Antony, and Lepidus. Now, whenever you see three men who are pagan, they're so ungodly, they're all about themselves, and they divide the Roman Empire, the world, the world rulers, 
And it was, it was a world power. They divided the Roman Empire into three sections, and they each had one. But they're not content with that. So Mark Antony and Octavian somehow boot out Lepidus. So now it's just two. Well, then, you know, they, you'd think they would get along, but they don't, of course not. And so they become rivals. And, and um, let's see, Octavian manages to stay by himself, but Mark Antony, now ladies get this, Mark Antony goes to Egypt and joins forces with Queen Cleopatra. See, now right away, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton just come into my mind because that's what I know. Well, anyway, somehow in this story, um, Queen Cleopatra, it, that was not a good union. So Mark Antony, um, I don't know whether she pulled some strings or whether whatever, it didn't go. And so I Octavian was able to take over. Well, he, in turn, then named himself, this is what he named himself. He named himself Caesar Augustus. That's the, that's the name he came up with. And you know what Augustus means? Sacred one. Exalted one. I mean, doesn't that just about gag you? I mean, it, that's what he thought of himself. And so he is now Caesar Augustus, and he is ruling the world. The world is a mess. The world is an absolute mess. And, you know, they need a savior. And I, when I started thinking about that, I thought, you know, what difference does it make if it was back then or now? We look at our world's conditions and we look at our government and, and really we're kind of sitting in the same kind of thing. And, and, you know, you think, well, you know, maybe they could use another advisor or maybe they, or maybe they need one more committee. They don't need that. They need a savior. They needed a savior. We need a savior. You know, it would solve so much of the world's, it's the answer to all the world's problems. It's just like back in that day with King Herod and with Caesar Augustus, and, and it's just like today, you need a savior. That's who can solve it all. So Caesar Augustus, you know, he decides, well, you know, I think I better take a census. Now, Luke, Luke writes, you know, there hasn't been a census taken since Quirinius was governor of Syria. He, did, he needed a census like he needed a hole in the head, but he knew if he would just account his people, they would then be responsible for taxes. And, you know, it kind of says that in the King James Version. You know, it kind of gives you a hint that this whole thing was about to see who they could tax. 
Well, you know, when you, when you talk about Joseph and Mary, and, and, you know, they come from this little town of Nazareth, and maybe they don't have much, but they're good people, and they obey the rules. And I was thinking, you know, I'm sure they, they did not agree with Caesar Augustus. I'm sure they thought more taxes, just like you and I think of more taxes. Yet, I mean, I was reminded of Paul in Romans when he says, you know, obey the government. They put, they are in authority over you. And that doesn't mean you agree with them. It doesn't mean you have to like it, but you just do. And, and you know, the character of Joseph and Mary, you know, they, they went, they obeyed. This is, they didn't like it, but this is what the laws were. And they went. It says that they, they, Joseph went up from his town of Nazareth in Galilee, in Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, the town of David, because he belonged. He belonged to that house of David. So, and you know, that is not a, a skip and a jump. It, it, it is, I looked it up, and it is, it is 80 miles. And we don't realize 80 miles like they do. I mean, we think of now the 80 miles, but 80 miles, it's going to cost them a lot of time and a lot of money. You know, I mean, Joseph's got to close down the carpenter shop. He's going to be gone, and it's going to take a long time, and there's expenses along the way. And, you know, Caesar Augustus could care less about these poor people. But they did it. And it said on the way, when he, they went, and, and, and he went with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. No, we can quote these verses. I know we can, but when you think about them and you really take it apart, you think, why didn't she just stay home? I mean, you know, by now she is, you know, she's getting uncomfortable. She's showing, you know, I have no idea how long it took to get there. But, you know, why didn't she just stay home with her family and friends and it could be as simple as, you know, if anybody knew the scriptures, they did. And they knew what Isaiah and Jeremiah had said. And so, you know, it could be that they just said, no, the, the prophecy is that we go to Bethlehem. Or, I, I'm on a more human level too. I mean, I totally agree with that they know the scriptures and this is prophecy fulfilled. But I, I still think that Mary, you know, when she came home after three months, she still had to do chores and go outside. And, and just like with Elizabeth, I mean, they, people don't let up. I still think she would hear people especially probably young gals her age, probably when she would come outside and do her chores, I can just hear them. I can just hear them whisper, yeah, she said that they were good. You know? I mean, you can just tell that they did not believe, well, this never happened before. This is quite a miracle. And it's quite hard for people to, to really fathom at that time. 
but I'm sure she had 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 so much abuse and, and persecution, just like Elizabeth did. And just loving, didn't you just adore that Joseph? You know, he's just got to be such a good man, you know, for him to just, you know, take it under the chin, too, and believe. And I, I could just hear him saying, come on, Mary, you're coming with me. We're getting you out of here for a while. You know, just let's just let up on some of this, and let's just the two of us go. You know, I can hear that, but I I do believe that they purpose they really did um, follow the prophecy. So anyway, then it says that he he went up there, and he they were expecting the child, and while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So the time came for the baby to be born. So there there it is. Then did you think, gals, did you think, gosh, did she do this alone? Was she all, you know, was it just her and Joseph? You know, was, did she have any help at all? We don't know. That was one detail Mary did not tell Luke. I mean, so it's, then while they were there and the baby was born, she gave birth to her firstborn, firstborn. That's another um, little insight that she had more children later. And she gave birth to her firstborn a son, and she wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Yeah, we know. We know there was no room. And, and what about that manger? So that's why the questions, I thought, I'm going to get you thinking about that manger because, you know, when you, when you picture, when you have the the pictures of Jesus, and, and it's so cutesy, you know, he's, he's laying there in the straw, and in that little face, and, and it just looks so cute, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, pictures can do that, it, it almost looks like, what a cute little crib, like, I mean, how, how perfect, way to go, Joseph, you thought of that, that was such a good, good place to put, but then I started thinking the reality of it, that's a food trough, I mean, how much snot and drool is in that thing? And, and yeah, I'm sure that they cleaned it the best they could, but I mean, they didn't have Clorox and they didn't have all that kind of stuff that I would think you would need to clean a food trough to lay a precious newborn baby in. So, you know, you just got to think. That's why I said it when I prayed. I said, may we not lose the wonder of this story, the details in the hand of God and why he chose such conditions and such people in this particular chapter. It could have been so different, but God knew. And, and no room, no room in the end. You know, when, when, you're, when you're ready to have a baby, I mean, you're not asking for much, but you would kind of like a cot of some kind. And there's no room. And so, you know, with the, she, they, they get put in this animal barn, this, this stable-like and cave-like. I mean, just bare bones. There was no room. And then, then don't you remember Jesus saying once he left 
at 30 years old and he left on his ministry. Don't you remember him saying, and there's, there's, no, there's no place for the Son of Man to lay his head. There was never any room for him. Don't you remember that old hymn? I used to get convicted every time when I was a little kid, I'd sing this brown hymn book and would sing, have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin. You know, and it was such, have you any room? You know, room for Jesus, King of glory. You know, those were the, the words, and there were, there's never been room for him. And then, then I thought, oh, I can think of one place there was plenty of room. When they were building that wooden cross, no, there was no other takers for that. There was plenty of room on that cross for him. This whole story of Luke 2, as beautiful as we love to think Christmas and the Christmas story and all that, I mean, the whole reason for Luke 2 is for you and me and that cross and salvation. Yeah, don't, don't lose the wonder of this story. So now, now the, the news has got to get brought to the world. And, and when you think about it, it started, look, it says, and there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I'm sure you have, you've heard many sermons on, on this, but shepherds, they were, they were the, you know, this was the least desired job. I mean, I can see why. I mean, you know, uh, weather conditions, cold, hot. Um, I'm sure it's boring. Um, I'm sure it was, could be dangerous at times. And so people weren't standing in line for this job. So it was given either to, to young kids or to the social outcasts. That was more than likely social outcasts. So then you're, you're considering, you know, they're doing their job at night, and I'm sure, you know, conditions, and they're either, you know, cold or damp or, or what the deal is, and, and they're minding their own business, doing their job. They know, they know that they're the the lowest of the low. They, they know this isn't the prime job, but it's a job and they're doing it. And then all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord. Last week we talked about Gabriel and, and this, the message that Gabriel told um, Zechariah and the message that Gabriel told Mary. And he, he knew what his purpose was, that that was to bring messages straight from the throne of God and get them to understand. So we don't know it was Gabriel, but we do know an angel, one angel just lit up the sky for these, these lowly nothings. This had to be a t an unusual experience, and, and I'm sure they probably were saying to each other, do you see what I see, or is it just me? You know, I mean, they're, and they're watching this angel, and then this angel starts talking to them. 
And this angel says, because I'm sure the, this angel could see on their faces that they were terrified. And then the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And I hope you saw a three-letter word jump out of the page to you. You know, when you know that, when right from the very beginning of the first announcement, right from the start, you heard the angels say, Jesus came for all all people. And he said, this is great joy. Today, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. And then did you notice? A Savior has been born to you. To you. And how much more personal can you get when the angel said that he came, he came for you, he came for me. Today, in the city of David, a savior has come to you. And then he says, and this is, this is, this will be the sign. And you will find him, you will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now, that was really all the instructions. You will find, you will find a baby laying in a manger. I don't think that's real. I mean, wouldn't you say you turn left and then you go right? And then, you know, you would think that they would need a little more specific instructions. You know, you just, you'll find a baby. But I think, too, you, you, a lesson here. If you really want here, if you really want to know God's leading in your life, if you really do, you're not going to miss it. And they didn't have any trouble finding Mary and Joseph and the baby. It says it. And what are the chances? You think, they, you think that maybe they just put two and two together. If the baby's laying in a manger, well, then it must be some kind of, some kind of a farm barn or something, some kind of animal cave. Maybe they did that, but still, I think that's still a stretch, except that God is leading them, and he will lead if he can see in your heart that you really want to know. How often do you say, you know, how, do I, how can I tell this is God's will in my life? How do I know that it is? And, and I think for the most part, we say, yeah, I really do want God's will in my life. You know, that all sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? But you better look at that and say, do I really? Because 99% of the time, when you, when you relinquish your will to his, you're not going to get your way. God's plan and God's will for your life. But if you really do want his will in your life, if you really have a desire to do it, because you believe that you were created for him, he's got you on a mission. And if you really believe that, that his spirit will lead and guide you, when your heart is right and your desire is pure, 
I don't think you'll miss as well. Maybe it'll, it'll be a shock to you because it won't be what you, you had planned and what you expected, and, and we're going to see this, the, this demonstrated in people in this chapter on purpose. So and then suddenly, suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts. So now you have the one angel, and now a great company of heavenly hosts appear with the angel. And they are praising God. Can you, can you even just close your eyes sometime and just think what that must have sounded like? Because they're, 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 they're praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, peace to men on whom his favor rests. That speaks loud and clear for the mission of what Jesus is going to do. So glory to God in the highest. I mean, he was willing to leave heaven and be the ultimate sacrifice but did you notice that the peace, the peace that he promises, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, to men, it doesn't say to all men, it says to men on whom his favor rests. Last week we talked about his favor. What does it mean when God rests his favor on, on uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and Mary? It's when God does a work when no one else could do it. He's going to do a work in you that no one else can do. And when he lays his favor on you, you now have an opportunity to respond either yes or no to his favor. But only he can save you, redeem you, buy you back. Only he can do that. But he will rest his favor on you, and he will change your life. But you will have to decide whether it's going to be a yes or no to that. But if you say yes, then he says, then you will experience peace in your life. That's a beautiful thought. When you think about, yes, I will follow his terms, and his terms is humbling myself and seeing myself as a sinner, and I take that walk to the cross, and the Holy Spirit is right there then to start giving you what he promised, and that is love and joy and peace, peace and patience and kindness and all nine of them, but peace, peace, we can live in peace, no matter what kind of havoc is going on in our world, in our government. When you've said yes to his favor on your life, he says peace will be on you. Peace will rest on you. And then when the angels had left them, when the angels left them and they had gone into heaven, so as quick as they came, they, they said their message, and then they were gone. They were gone. And then there they stood. There the shepherds stood. And they said to one another, now I could have come up with so many things that they could have been saying when that ended. But look, that's why I took to these shepherds this time. 
and I, I even asked or didn't ask, but I said, compare yourself to the shepherds. I've never done that before. I've never compared myself to the shepherds before, but I did this time because this, they have qualities. I mean, they are the lowest of the low. They know what people think of them. And after that experience, look what they say. No, ex no excuses. They didn't even waste any time. Look what they said. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They chose to say, let's go. No one made them. You know, and that's the same with us. I mean, you know, the Lord has given us everything in his word. And then he says, okay, up to you. This is what will happen. This is the blessed assurance you can live with every day of your life. It's called abundant living because you know who you are in Christ Jesus. Or you can say no and then fend for yourself in this life. But the consequences are very severe. And I know you don't want to hear them, but they are. But these shepherds, they said, let's go. And then, the, and then verse 16, so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You know, you, know, you can't help but say, well, what happened to their sheep? Did they take them along with them or, or did they just kind of let them be? We don't know. And you know what? That's not the issue. If God can do this miracle, he can keep a few sheep in the line. So, I mean, I, I don't want to get off on things like that. They obeyed. They went, let's go. Let's see what the Lord has said. And they hurried and they found him. They found exactly what the Lord said and through the angels, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And then did you notice what they did? After they, after they decided, let's go, and then they experienced it all, what did they do? And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them to, about this child. To me, that was one of the most amazing things because of who they are and what they're thought of by people. I mean, I don't see them at all. I don't see any, any hesitation. They go tell. They, they saw with their own eyes. They experienced it all. And, and the courage, the 100% the sold out, I think they really get it. And they don't care what people think. Now, we see that the people were amazed. Now, we don't know what amazed really means, if they really truly believed or whether they thought, oh, look who's telling this story. Uh, we don't need to know that. We just need to see the heart of these shepherds. Let's go. Let's see. Let's experience. And then... They are so overflowing with what they've experienced. It's called a testimony. I thought, isn't that 
Isn't that the way it's supposed to be when you've had an encounter with Jesus? And when you start knowing what he has come to do for you and you start taking that in and you start comprehending that, should we really care about what anybody is thinking? That shouldn't matter. I had a, I had a gal um, this past week. She, she must have, in these lessons, she must have been convicted about an area in her life. And so she comes to me, and I feel if, they, if she comes to me, then I can tell her. She asks me, then I have a right to tell her. So she said, and I don't know whether she thought I would say, oh, that's okay. When she told me, I said, well, then stop it. Just stop it. Well, then she went on, well, you know, you don't know my friend group. I mean, I can't just stop it because, you know, all of our group does it. And wonder if I, and I looked at her and I said, who do you care about most? Do you care about what your friends think or what Jesus thinks? I mean, that's not, that's not rocket science, but sometimes it's got to be brought right to our face. Who are you trying to please anyway? Any of your friends dying a cross for you? Any of your friends give themselves because you were loved so much? In this self-consumed world, I don't think so. Just stop it. If it has been brought to your mind and you are starting to feel the Lord working, those two words are enough. You stop it. And so um, I think this is what these shepherds taught me. These shepherds, I just, I really got to say, I just love these low lowlifes. I love these little nobodies. Because they showed when you really get it, look what you're able to do, your testimony. And really, this, this gal said to me, she said, well, if they ask me why, I'm, what do I tell them? I said, well, just tell them your story. Just say that you are making different choices now. And I said, you don't have to expound if they want to know more, then they'll ask more, and then you just answer. But you know what? You're making different choices now. You're listening to a different voice now. Okay, then we have this, this space, about eight days. We have about eight days space between verses 20 and 21. You know, they told, but did you notice what Mary did? You know, Mary, and I think this is why it's a clue to us that she really did tell Luke because he, you know, she was saying, oh, they just went out and they, they told. But she treasured these moments. And can you imagine how many times she would think about that night, that birth, that um, those shepherds, those, I'm sure she lived out that night many times in her mind. So now, eight days later, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had, had been conceived. 
And when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, see, Mary and Joseph, I repeat, they're obedient. They're obedient to the government, and they're obedient to the law of Moses. And in Leviticus chapter 12, it was very specific what a woman had to do after the birth of a child. And it was very specific that um, on the eighth day, a child was, a male child was to be circumcised. And they were not rule breakers, they especially the law of Moses. And so Jesus was going to be circumcised. Mary was going to be purified. And then the third thing, according to the law, according to what the Lord told Moses in Exodus, you are to consecrate, you are, you are to present to me the firstborn male, whether it be man or animal. That was Exodus. So the, these were the rules. And you were to complete that. So the circumcision and then the purification. And then they were to um, offer the firstborn male in a, to be consecrated to the Lord. And they offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord with a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So that, that was quite a process to make sure it was done properly and the right way. So now, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Now, we kind of picture him, at least I always did, we, um, I kind of pictured him kind of an older man, old maybe, but it really doesn't say how old he is. It just says that he, he, he lived in Jerusalem and he was righteous and he was devout. And he was waiting. This is what he was waiting for. He was waiting for the cons consolation of Israel. I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I knew that, that in the next verses it said that, that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. But it really doesn't say he's old and He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does, what does that phrase mean, the consolation of Israel? I mean, we know that he's waiting to see the Messiah, the Christ. The consolation of Israel. Well, think of that word consolation. What's the root word? It's console. And what was the consolation of Israel? Well, it was the Messiah. It truly was. But in their mind... In their mind, in, in the people, in the Israelites' mind, they were waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. And even though we know he was coming for far more than what they thought, but, you know, they were just thinking of themselves and the way they were been brutally treated in this kind of government, in this, you know, this kind of territory and 
persecuted. They're thinking, you know, oh, can't comfort you, comfort you, my people. The Messiah is coming. But they're thinking, oh, good. He's going to free us from these conditions. And it was hard for them to get beyond that. And I, I, I think we still have some of that mindset. Come to Jesus and he'll make your life just fine. Come to Jesus and his job is to make you comfortable and happy. And that's not at all what Jesus came to do. And, and the sooner we learn it's not comfortable and happy is, is his main interest the better we will be. But they too, the consolation of Israel was that the Messiah would come and they, they would have an easier life. Now Simeon, now Simeon, he was, I don't know if that was his thought. It sound, sounds like he was, he had a deeper understanding of who the Messiah was because it said he was religious and he was devout. In verse 27, he was moved by the Holy Spirit. So we know that he didn't have the Spirit living in him because it wasn't, it hadn't been Pentecost yet, of course. But the Holy Spirit was still leading and guiding. If people were righteous and they were devout and they, they desired to serve the Lord and he was a priority, then the Holy Spirit was moving and, and, and leading them. And, and look what, in verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. What a detail. At just the right time. Remember, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, you know, they're fulfilling all their requirements. They're doing all what they need to do. And I don't know how long that really takes, but Simeon, he was moved by the Holy Spirit, like, okay, go to the temple. Go to the temple. I don't know where he lived, according to the temple. I don't know if he lived next door or if he had a while to go to travel. I don't know. But he was moved by the Spirit to go to the temple. I wonder if he didn't listen. Wonder if he wonder if he, you know, thought, well, I'm a little busy. You know, I really don't care to go today. Um, you know, try me again tomorrow. Well, they were there then. And he listened and he didn't miss it. So it says, when the parents brought, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. Now, again, we know the story. But come on, moms. I wonder if some stranger comes walking up to you and tries to yank your baby out of your arms. I mean, you know, the, the Lord had to be working in all the people here. Because it sounds like Mary handed him over to him. And there he is holding this baby Jesus in his arms. And he praised God. And in the next three verses, what words, what words of spirit-led wisdom he said. Sovereign Lord, sovereign. There is no one like you. Sovereign means you are God, and I certainly am not. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. See, Simeon, the wisdom he had, he believed that when God said something, he would do it. 
That's why these examples of what um, were used are such good examples for you and me. They weren't any more special people. They just listened and they obeyed and they believed. And they believed that when God promises something, he will come through. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. See, this is why I think it's important that we, we don't know if he was old. I just love his heart. I mean, he could have been middle-aged. We don't know what his age is, but look what he was willing to say. You came through with your promise, and if it's my time, I, I am at peace. I'm, I'm ready to go. You, can, you now dismiss your servant in peace. I mean, I know our natural instinct is to live. We hold on to life. But are we getting to the point maybe that we're starting to loosen that grip a little bit because we do believe that God has our days numbered and we won't leave here a second early or late. And that we're at peace with whenever he chooses to take us. Sounds like Simeon was. All he wanted was to be able to see the Christ. And then he said, whatever, whatever you decide now. I like that, and I hope you do too. I hope that you really think about that. Are you holding on to your human life so tight that you aren't giving God just, Lord, you know, you know my days. May I take comfort in the fact I'm not leaving here till... It is time, not early, not late, just when you say. That should be very comforting for us. And he went on, for my eyes have now seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all people. Which you've prepared in the sight of all people. Then I give him credit. He, he, like the angels, I said, unto you is born for all people. But Simeon, he dares say the word. And back then, if you said the word Gentiles, you probably did have a catch in your throat. And he was, he was willing to say that this salvation that you have prepared in the sight of all people a light of revelation to the Gentiles. So, I mean, this is way before um, the coming of the spirit of Pentecost. It's way before the Apostle Paul. It's way before um, Cornelius in the, in the sheet with all the unclean animals. I mean, it's, it's way before that. And already, Simeon knows what's promised. Jesus came for all people, Jew, Gentile, male, female, rich and poor. So he's going he's gonna to make sure that, that the Gentiles have revealed to them the same salvation and then also to the glory and the glory and for glory to your own people. So he included Jews, but he also included Gentiles. That was quite a three-line prayer there. Sovereign Lord. The 
child's father and mother, I mean, Mary and Joseph, they marveled. They marveled at what was said about him. You know, they knew, they knew he was going to be the savior. They, they knew that. But do you think that they comprehended all what that meant right away? I think it was experiences like this that would all of a sudden make them, give them a jolt. Oh, he's going to be a light for the Gentiles. He, he's going to be the glory for Israel. Wow, we're... Are we ready for this? You know, this is going to be quite, this is going to be quite the run. Then Simeon turned right to Mary. Turned right to Mary and had some words for her and said that he blessed them. Simeon blessed them and then said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. I mean, he's going to be the cause. He's destined to cause trouble. I remember one year in this very room, in, in probably in one of the Gospels, when Jesus said, I, I, I'm, I came to divide. And that was a jolt for some people. Even though it was right there, right there in the scripture, because we still want to think Jesus came to bring peace to the world. And Jesus said, I came to save it. But there's, there's, there's going to be some that believe and some don't. And it's going to cause friction. Remember, he, he laid it right out there. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, parents against children. And, and it, it's just not going to be an easy thing. And so he's just saying to Mary, he's, gonna, he's destined to cause some real trouble between people. And I thought, okay, you know, even in his own disciples, you think, you know, for the, for the 12, there were 11 of them that just followed Jesus and believed. And even, you know, even Peter, you know, becoming the rock. And, and, but then Judas... I mean, he had the same opportunity, had the same walk. He, he listened to the same words. And then you think, oh, the, the two thieves on the crosses, one who just believed so, and the other one who, no matter how much he was suffering, he just mocked and ridiculed. So, you know, some are going to believe it and some aren't. And that's going to cause some splits. And then, and then you know, you think there's some people today, and I, I just pray I'm one that I think Jesus is like a magnet. I just get pulled to him, and I can't get enough of him, and I want to stay stuck to him. But then there's some that are just repulsed by him. And I will never forget that um, story. You know, we've even prayed for her when you told us about this 97-year-old lady who you go and visit. And, I mean, you couldn't be nicer. You couldn't be, I don't know how anybody could turn you down the way you are in your spirit. 
But even today when I talked to you, you said that you went to visit her. And this 97-year-old lady, now she's running out of time. And you think as weak and as frail as she probably is getting, she rises up to a feisty attitude and pretty much says, shut up, I don't want anything to do with this. I mean, that just, I can't, I can't even put that into words. But here Simeon says, you know, he's, he's going to cause trouble with the gospel story. And he doesn't push it on anyone. Everyone has to decide for themselves. And then he also is going to be a sign that will be spoken against. It will be a sign that will be spoken against. So it's just like, Mary, I'm sorry I have to tell you this, but your son is going to be like a target that everybody's going to be shooting at. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. I mean, Jesus knew he was going to do whatever it took. I mean, he had to pour, he poured it out. He, he did everything he could through parables, through miracles, through, through he, he tried everything to get the people to believe. And, and then he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul. And boy, there couldn't have been a better, there couldn't have been a more, pointed sword that went through Mary when she stood at the cross. And then, and then there, was also, there was also a prophetess, Anna. And now her story is, is all, altogether different. Um, and I think Mary said to Luke, now um, I want you to know this isn't just a pretend fable. This isn't just some story that I've got in here. There was a real lady named Anna, and she was the daughter of Phanuel, and she was from the tribe of, of Aster, Asher. So, I mean, she, had, she knew specifics. She, she was a real person who was a real daughter, who was one of the tribes of Israel, Asher. She was very old. See, here we know she was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years and after, her, after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. It's all we really know. But, you know, as young as those girls married, I'm sure seven years was just like a drop in the bucket. And, and she had her whole life in front of her, and I'm sure she had plans, and we don't read about any children. Or So she's only married seven years with a world by the tail and plans, and and all of a sudden, her husband dies. And she remains a widow until she's 84. Now, now okay, when, when you have plans, when, when you've got the world by the tail, when, when you have, um, you've got your life all scheduled out, and this is how it's going to work, and um, this, is, this is what my plan is, and the Lord changes it all. All of a sudden, you are, you're, in a, you're in a crisis. You are experiencing life the way you 
absolutely never expected and probably would be your worst scenario. You know, and I keep thinking of that accident. I mean, how one, one thing can just change everything. And, you, and you, you're not given warnings. The only warning we're given is that, you know, our lives are his and he does with what he wants and he knows what's best and how he's going to use us. But, you know, it comes as a shock most of the time. And, you know, when, when this crisis hits, you can, it's the same then is it's the same now. You have a split second to decide what you're going to do and how you're going to handle it. The circumstance isn't going to change. That you know. So what, how am I going to deal with this circumstance? And, and the natural, the human emotion the one that doesn't take any effort because your natural human nature gradually just goes there and that is i don't like this one bit and you can you find yourself you know just wallowing in and you you're just in self pity and and you're maybe you're even angry like come on lord there was a man I knew, and he was similar to this story. I mean, he was, he was uh, a younger, he was a young man at the time, and he adored his mom. And she became terminally ill, and they weren't a real spiritual family to begin with, but he had learned, and he had, someone had somehow given him the idea, if you pray about it, you'll get what you want. But I just wonder how many people sitting in church pews today still believe that. And so he prayed, Lord, please, please, I just beg you, don't let my mom die. And she died. And he told me this story. He said, and he's not a real outgoing kind of guy, but it just shows that what he, the strong self, how he was so angry at God. He says, I just took my fist and I shook it in his face and said, you and me, God, were done. And for years, that man lived like that, living in that bitterness, blaming God, thinking that you didn't hear me. You didn't care enough to even answer my prayer, thinking that that, that, is, that means I'm always going to get my way. If he came in and told you this story, he'd tell you he wasted so many years in bitterness and blaming. And, and as the Lord would have it, you know, the Lord made sure that he heard the truth. And one night he did. And he responded to the, the love of Christ. And he is changed man today. But here, with Anna, you think, you know, she too. I mean, this is, God, this isn't what I had planned. But look what she chose to do. And this is the two choices. You can, you can go what's natural, like I said. That, that doesn't take any effort at all. Or you can back and say, but I choose to believe God is up to something. 
but I need to do whatever I need to do to keep that in my, in my forefront that I need to focus on. And you know what she, she knew? She thought, I, I, gotta, I gotta do something drastic. And she moved into the temple. She never went back home. I think she knew that if she went back home that she would feel that pull of, of oh, why? It's not fair, it's not right. Why didn't you come through? She knew she, because it says right there, it says that she was old. She lived with her husband for seven years, and she, she was a widow at 84, and she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day. When you worship, when you worship the Lord, huh, whose eyes are you not on? <laughs> when you're worshiping the Lord, your eyes are on him and you're not looking at yourself. And she knew that's what she needed to do. She worshiped the Lord, kept him in her main tunnel vision. Night and day, she worshiped him. And she fasted and she prayed. She made a conscience, conscious effort. Do not to not let the world and the human emotions take her in a place that would just make her miserable. I believe she found joy in this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's what got her through. Look at verse 38. Coming up to them at the very moment there again, look at the timing. At the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She was so full, and at that time when she saw him, she just, out, out it all came. He's come. We've waited a long time. The Redeemer is here. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee and their own town of Nazareth. So after that huge day and those experiences, they just went home. They went home and all we know is probably Mary telling Luke is pretty uneventful. Joseph went back into the shop and started probably teaching Jesus a little bit. And, and they were just typical guys. We had more children. And, and, and they played and said, and the child grew and became strong. And he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. So, yeah, he grew. He was... I think Luke right now is saying, you know, me as a doctor, it's just so hard for me to fathom that, yeah, he, he grew like a normal kid. His body just grew normal. So, yeah, he was, this, he was the son of man. He was, he was a normal kid, but he was also the son of God. And you could tell, even in his growing up, he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. 
then kind of silent. And I think it was Mary saying, well, not much happened. <laughs> Probably would warrant scripture. But then, but then I can hear her say, you know, every year we went to Jerusalem and we had, uh, you know, we had for the feast of Passover. Every year we did that. But and, and that too is pretty routine. But oh, do I have to stop and tell you about when he was 12. When he was 12 years old, he went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boys stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. And maybe you thought, how can you lose a kid? What do you mean you weren't aware of it? But but haven't you been at reunions or gatherings where you have a bunch of cousins and, and different friends? You know, he's not three or four. He's 12. And by, by the time they're 12, they really don't want to be with you anymore. They want to be with their friends. And, and you've, you've just, you kind of let them go. And the whole group's together, and I can see how that happened. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Look, after three days, they found him in the temple courts. Three days. Have you ever lost one of your kids for a little while? I mean, even for a minute or two? Oh, the feelings. I can't imagine three days. One time, Tom and I, we were, we were going to, um, we had a little uh, two-day trip to Wisconsin planned. I had to sing at an outdoor Dutch kind of, uh, in Cedar Grove, they called them Dutch days. And it was going to be, you know, one of those um, quick little jaunts to Wisconsin. And Jenna, who was four at the time, she always wanted to come on tour with Grandma. And so we thought, okay, this is a good one. You know, we're only going to be gone two nights, and, and we're going to stay in one home, and she will love those people. We've been there before. And we thought, this will be a good thing for Jenna. And she was, she was going to sing with me at this outdoor thing when the kids all came up. And so she was all excited. Well, on our way, about halfway, there's that in Chicago. There, I don't know if there is anymore, but there used to be that oasis that was over the highway. And so you could watch those trucks going underneath you. And I know Jenna had never seen that. And so we stopped there, and, uh, and Tom went to get a, a table by the window, and Jenna wanted to stay with me. And so we went up to the counter, and it was really busy. And so I held her hand real tight, and we went to the counter, and then I had to get my money out, so I let her hand go. It couldn't have been three seconds. And I went to get that little hand again, and she was gone. And we're in Chicago. We're in an oasis, and there's all kinds of different people. And I lost her, and I was frantic because she is darling. She is adorable, and she is exactly what someone would want and grab her. I mean, you hear the horror stories, and I knew that they got my Jenna. 
oh, I was beside myself. And people around me were trying to help, and out of the corner of my eye, I look by the window, and there, her and her grandpa are having the big old time. <laughs> I didn't know you could be so relieved and so mad at the same time, but how quickly she snuck away, and, and when I got there, that's why I can understand this story. I mean, how could you do that, Jenna? Why didn't you tell me? Well, I, I, I saw Grandpa. I knew. She knew what she was doing. Just like I knew what I was doing. But this story is just so human, you know? And it says, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem three days later. You know, they find him sitting with the teachers in the temple, and they're and he's listening to them, asking them questions, and everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, yeah, it's exactly what I would have said with a few other choice words probably. Son, why, you know, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I think this is a real turning point. I think Mary is telling Luke this because she knew. I, mean, I know he's only 12, but it's a turning point for, for Jesus and me, Mary said. I, I have to start realizing because well, look what Jesus' answer was. Why, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Or according to King James, I think we know better. I have to be about my father's business. And it was perfectly normal by 12 years old that the son starts working into the father's business. But Jesus is starting to all of a sudden, you know, he is starting to fathom my father, capital F. And Mary's got to hear this because Mary, you know, remember, it's been 12 years, everything's normal, no big, no big stories to tell you until this. I mean, now this young boy is starting to realize, and they need to realize. But even verse 50, they did not understand what he was saying to them. I think that's why this was another thing she, she treasured in her heart, pondered, and looking back, it all made sense. Then he went down to Nazareth and, and with them and was obedient to them. And I think Mary really wanted Luke to put that in there. That they went home again to their normal setting. And, you know, Jesus wasn't one to say, you know, he was very obedient to them. He was very respectful to them. He knew they were his earthly parents he never would say to them, I don't have to listen to you. You're not my father. I think Mary really wanted us to see that, you know, they went, see, he stayed in the hometown. He was 30. He was very respectful and obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. So yes, he grew up to be, you know, man. He was normal, but he grew in wisdom and in favor with God and men. And I asked you about that in, at the end. You know, is that something that you would want? That, that you... 
that you would want to um, somehow grow in wisdom and the grace of God? And how do you, how do you grow in wisdom and the grace of God? And what you're doing, you're coming on a Tuesday night, a grainy, windy night, and you have a desire to grow in wisdom and the grace of God. What great examples in this story tonight. Vermiliar, yes, but wonderful, yes. If it never had happened, I hope you shudder as much as I do, if Luke 2 had never happened. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. We know it's familiar, but I think you really somehow made it personal to us tonight. These biblical characters are real people that, that show enormous um, surrender to you and what can happen, how you can use a surrendered life. And that doesn't mean it's easy or it's comfortable or it's the way we planned. But Lord, we will never truly be satisfied or content unless we are in your will. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.